You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. So we look at another part of um, temptations called skin things. So when we look at 1 John 2, verse 15, um, 1 John 2, 15, if we could just put that up. 1 John 2, 15. It says, okay, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Please, could you go to 16 too? It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Amen. So this is our anchor scripture. And when we tagged today's skin things, we're looking at the lust of the flesh. Praise God. So when we talk about fighting temptations, you know, I, I was pondering and I'm like, so why is this important to God and why is this important to us as his children? What, what does he want us to know? What does he, you know, want us to take away from this? And I, I just thought to mention a few things. In this season when we talk about stronger, in Elevation Churches, you know, our theme for 2018 is stronger. We're saying we're stronger. Stronger in what sense? Stronger, stronger spiritually. Stronger in our academics. You fill in the blanks. Stronger in our careers. Stronger in our businesses. Stronger in prayer. Stronger in standing our ground as children of God. And that is how I see, you know, this topic when we talk about fighting temptations. You know, um, I just want to, you know, mention this, you know, quickly. <clears throat> I don't think the devil worries so much, you know, probably, I mean, he wouldn't like it, but he wouldn't worry so much if we came to church, we prayed, we lifted our hands, we worshipped, you know, we enjoyed fellowship with each other, you know, and that is where it ended, right? His worry will be when we stepped out there, when he has opportunity to throw the temptations and the, and the struggles and the trials at us, you know, his worry will be if we can stand Amen. So it's important for us to recognize that, you know, we have an enemy. And, you know, sometimes, okay, last year, um, fortunately, robbers came to our house. And, um, you know, prior to that, though, we, we used to take security a bit casually. So we'll go to bed, door is closed, probably not locked, you know, windows are open, nothing Nothing serious. Fast forward to now. <laughs> when we go to bed, <laughs> lock the door. One, two, three. <laughs> the upper latch. Every window closed. Do you understand? Because we recognize what? There is an enemy. And I believe that this series, if anything else, is important because God wants us to know that there is what? An enemy. Because your stance is different when you think all is fine. I'm okay, I understand the love of God, I'm boxing in it, and that is it. And you know, the strategies of warfare, when you look at soldiers and when they go to war, the strategy of warfare is to what? Downplay your existence, isn't it? So if I was your enemy, I wouldn't show up to you and, hey, I'm here. I would want to catch you when you are weak. I would want to make you think that I don't exist. I would want to make you feel like, you know, I'm powerless. And then I strike when you're most vulnerable. And that is why the Bible talks about the schemes, the wiles, the devices, the imaginations of the enemy. 
So as we go through this season, I, or this series, if there's anything that I want us to get away with is that I'm conscious that I have what? An enemy. And so I don't mess around. I don't play around. You know, because everything I'm getting from God, the love of God, his power, his, his greatness, his awesomeness, there's somebody who wants to take it away. And there's somebody who is watching me, who is, you know, checking my every move and wants to strike when he thinks I'm what? Weak. Praise God. So, I mean, sometime this week I was in Port Harcourt for work and we have a good friend of ours, you know, who, I mean, he's that close to my husband. When we were having our first child, he was in the hospital because sometimes it's not just the woman that needs encouragement. <laughs> my husband was almost passing out too. <laughs> and for me, it was a long, it was a long labor, maybe 12 hours, you know. So I had my mom, and while I was screaming, and um, she was trying to hold me down, he too had to hold someone, and he was, <laughs> and he and he was there. So I mean, it was great joy to be, you know, in Portaco where he lives, you know, young family, to, uh, two twin girls, about two years old, and uh, you know, I we, I we went to I went to see them, you know. So so imagine somebody this close. So I got there, and my first instinct was, I mean, I, I'm good with children, I know it. I've taken a child evangelism course before when I was in the university. So I just wanted to hug these girls and, you know, just pull them close and just, you know, love on them. But one of the twins will have nothing of it. In fact, she will see me go, ah! I'm like, what, what have I done? I mean, the other one would say, leave me, Joe. You know, at least she was being nice about it. But at least I could touch her and play with her. But the other one would scream and cry. And I said, What? I'm, I'm going to break this girl. I'm just going to, <laughs> I'm going to find a way, you know, to break this girl. So we just continued and we went out to eat, to have something to eat. And then while we were there, I, I mean, we got drinks, uh, it was malt or something. And I saw this particular twin, you know, come to her mom, mommy, I want malt, you know, and the mom would give her. And after a while, mom would say, no. And then she would go, mommy, ah. I was watching intently. I said, ah, I have malt too. Okay. So I told the parents, can I? They said, yes, okay. So I poured mine in my, glo- my glass and I was like, Adora. You know, she's like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> uh, I said, Adora. You know, and then she, she, she turned first and she stared at me. She took two steps forward. <laughs> I'm like, you don't want malt. She returned again. And then before I know, she came and sat on my lap. <laughs> And I fed, <laughs> and I gave her the malt, and we laughed, and we, you know, we did all of that. At that time, God told me, you know, that's what the devil does. That's what the devil does. That's what he does. You know, he dangles that bait. You, and the devil is so, you know, my Bible says that there is no temptation that is overtaking us that is what common to man. That is not common to man, right? I know that, but I know that with each person, there's a specific vulnerability. And the devil will not give bread to fish because he knows that's not bait for fish. If I want to bait a fish, if I want to catch a fish, I won't show up with bread. I will show up with maybe sausage, meat, or another smaller fish. Amen. So even though temptations are common to man, the application is specific. And we are dealing with an enemy who is watching. I was watching that young girl. I was watching. 
I was waiting for her weak spot. I was watching to see how and, you know, what I would use to break her. And I eventually did. And that's what the devil does. And so we can be careless. We can put our guards down like, you know, we don't have an enemy. When we were growing up, I used to, we used to live in this house that, you know, once in a while, we would see, I mean, forgive me if you offense anybody, we would see rats. And then, <laughs> when, that, when you report to my mom, rats, she's like, eh, okay. She had a room where she had the strategy, battle warfare. Is it, you know, I'm not a millennial, we call it a tap, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, um, <laughs> the, the metallic structure. Then we had the gumboards, you know, those ones. And then we had you know, bread and regular poison. So she would tell you, what was the size of the rat you saw? <laughs> it's a small one. She said, Mommy, it's a small one. I said, small one. Okay. She would bring out the gumboards because, you know, and she would put a piece of bread there. So you should see us in the morning when we wake up. <gasps> the rat trap. <laughs> and we get there and she chose those particular her particular armory based on the size of the rats. Because the gumboard, you know, when the rat will step on it, he, I mean, he's stuck and he can't get out. But the big ones, they will run with the board. <laughs> so, so, so if you say, oh, it's a big one, big one. Ah, bring out the massive for tap, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With the bread and everything. I'm just trying to paint a picture about how we human beings are very strategic about about dealing with issues, about dealing with circumstances, and the devil so much more. Praise God. That said, I want us to, you know, go into scripture. Could we um, read Matthew 4, 1 to 4? Um, okay, so we're talking about skin things, flesh desires, right? And so Matthew 4, 1 to 4 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Help us, Holy Spirit. Amen. Short four verses. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Skin things, flesh desires. My number one big thought, if we start from verse one of that scripture, it says, and Jesus was led up by the Spirit. If you read the Luke edition of this, the Luke account of this, it says, and Jesus full of the Spirit. So when we talk about temptations, we're not saying, uh, okay, maybe this person is not a serious Christian. Mm -mm. The verse, the chapter before he had been baptized, the heavens had opened. And Jesus, and God spoke, behold, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he stepped out into chapter 4. And what? He was tempted of the devil. Now, I want you to, want us to realize that every time temptations are common to man. Why? Because we wear this earthly suit called what? Flesh. The spirit man doesn't get hungry. The 
spirit man um, doesn't sleep and all that. But once you put on this earthly flesh, you are subject to what? Temptations. So this is not about how much spirit you carry on the inside or how much, you know, grace you carry on the inside of you. And you're like, no, I'm temptation proof. That's a lie. Once we have this earthly sooth called flesh, we are what subject to temptations. Now the issue is when does this, the issue is how do we differentiate when we can naturally satisfy earthly flesh, earthly desires under God and when they become what? Sinful. And I think that is the big question. And you know, this is Jesus. Like I said earlier, the devil was watching. How, how cheeky. He had been fasting for 40 days. Ah, food. He's hungry. You know, food is hungry. So even Jesus was hungry. The son of God who had taken, had come down to our level. And that's why the Bible says he became poor. That we might be what? Rich. He took on this earthly flesh. This earthly suit. Because... He had to reach us. He had to meet us at a point. And that was Jesus. You know, he had fasted for 40 days. We've been fasting for 40 days. Sometimes when I get home, hmm. you know, because with Lagos traffic, maybe I leave work at 6, so I get home 8, and I'm not eating. Usually when I get home and I'm, you know, the normal me, not fasting, I'm like, why haven't you done this? Move. Why is this house scattered? Now I'm humble. <laughs> I'm humble. You know, I walk in and I'm like, eh, mommy, this is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes, yes. Anything you say is fine. Can I just have food, please? <laughs> so imagine Jesus in that state of being hungry. And the devil says, ah, you are the son of God. Turn this stone into bread. And now he has the power. So it's a different, the devil says, turn the stone into bread. I'm like, me, where's the power now? <laughs> so, I mean, that doesn't fear us. I mean, I am not tempted by that. I'm like, I can't. You know, but this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. The devil knowing fully well who he is. Let's turn this stone into bread. After all, you are hungry. Yeah? Is there any... I had this slide that kind of showed how Jesus looked so that we understand. Okay, so... So, I mean, I was checking on the internet. I'm like, this is Jesus. Look, maybe that stone. And he's looking at him. Like, oh, 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 but I'm hungry. You know, but he drops it down and he says, man will not live by what? Bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from what? The mouth of God. And I want us to contrast with somebody else called Esau. Because temptation is real. And what is the devil's intention? He's to cut you short from your promise. Every temptation is common. What happened to Esau? It was also what? Food. But can we see how reactions differed? For one person, Jesus said, it is written. And I want to speak to somebody, when your feelings and when your, your fleshly desires or this earth suit desires want to overwhelm you, remember what is what? Written. Remember what the word of God says. That was Jesus' battle uh, uh, strategy. That was his armor. It is what? Written. In that same vein, a man called Esau met with Jacob cooking porridge. Hungry from the field, needing food. And he asks for some. And then Jacob goes, would you sell, give me your inheritance? That was a tempter there. And we know that our weapon, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. So we might feel like, Wumi is the one that is getting me angry. You know? But your warfare is not against what? 
flesh and blood. She may just be the vehicle, but your warfare, the true warfare is not against flesh and blood. And at that moment, Esau says, what is my birthright to me? What is my inheritance to me? I don't, what, what does that mean? Right now, I just want to eat. And there and then, he sold his bed rice for just a pot of porridge. He sold his bed rice. When we say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and what? Jacob. Somebody, somebody has lost out. How does a pot of porridge make you give up your destiny? That is what Esau did. But you see, Jesus, on the other hand, looked and says, no. I'm here for a bigger purpose than this food. I'm here for a bigger purpose than this food. And he came to the conclusion. It is what? Written. And I'm going through this. We're going through this because we would all come to those dilemmas, those times in our lives where it would appear, you know, we are some, it would appear our flesh is calling out for desires. And they are normal. What kind of desires do we usually experience? There's hunger. We've seen that in the case of Jesus. There's a craving for rest. There's a craving for pleasure. We all want to be loved, don't we? We all want to be loved. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be recognized. There's sexual desires. But the question is, would you, in trying to satisfy those sexual desires, satisfy the craving for, for attention or for love or for food or for whatever it is, dishonor God? Would we dishonor God? Because that's where the battle line is now drawn. And so I want to go through some big thoughts that I had. When we are trying to fulfill a natural desire of the flesh, when does it become sinful? And the first thing I want to say is when it no longer what, glorifies God. When it no longer glorifies God. When it no longer glorifies God. What does glory mean? It means to honor. It means to give reverence. It means to recognize something or someone as supreme. You see, when I think about that temptation of Jesus, you know, Jesus could actually turn that stone into bread, right? He had the power. I mean, he took two loaves of bread and five loaves of bread and two fish and he broke it and thousands ate. So he could actually turn that. But you see, I believe that at that point in time, what he was resisting was the desire to prove something. Because the devil's temptation was if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, pride of life, if you are the son of God. And at that point, Jesus searched his heart. I'm like, what is my motive here? Is it love-driven? When it was time to feed thousands, he wasted no breath in blessing food and breaking it and spreading it out. He wasted no time because the motive then was what? Love. Every time your motive is not loved back, check it. Who are you trying to prove something to? What are you trying to prove to yourself? What, what recognition do you want? Because, you know, sometimes we like this thing, the applause of men, rather than I would give glory to God or I would honor God. We would rather get, oh, 
then you know what? God recognizes that in this circumstance and in this situation and at this time, I chose to honor him. And that was what Jesus did. He chose to honor God. He chose to honor God. It wasn't about what he could do or what he couldn't do. At that time, the motive wasn't right. And so as we talk about temptation and those things that make us vulnerable, the devil knows. He knows we all need this recognition. You know, we all have this desire to be recognized. Who doesn't? Who doesn't want to be told, oh, well done, you're doing a great job? Who doesn't? The issue is at what cost? Because that, that is where we draw the line between satisfying a natural desire to be loved, to be appreciated, and it becomes what? Sinful. Praise God. The next big thoughts I had, um, when does fulfilling a natural desire of the flesh become sinful? Is when we have to trade our consciences or inheritance for it. And we saw that clearly in Esau's case. How do we get so short-term-minded? And that's what the devil does. Look at the now. Look at your circumstance now. See just what you are going through now and sort yourself now instead of thinking about the repercussion, thinking about the future. I mean, Joseph was, I mean, since we're on food, look at Daniel. Daniel and the Hebrew boys, here they were, you know, in Babylon, and they were given all sorts to eat, all sorts, delicacies, all sorts. But they both, the, the Hebrew boys and Daniel said, we will not defile ourselves with the king's food. At that point, they recognized that there was something about their lives, there's something about their future, something about their destiny that would be defiled, that would be hindered, that would be hampered by reason of this king's food that they were going to eat. And so they asked for what? Just vegetable, just, you know, water, just regular stuff. And God gave them favor so that after days, they were what? Ten times what? Better. So every time the devil comes knocking, what are my big thoughts? Number one, recognize you're an enemy. That there is an enemy, not you're an enemy, that there is an enemy. And that he's watching out. He knows your vulnerable points. He knows those things that would appeal to you. He knows the bait that you need, you know, to make you dishonor God. Recognize that and be on your guard. Number two, desires, because we wear this earthly suit, are normal. But when do you cross from a desire that is normally fulfilled to one that becomes what? Sinful. Number one is when it dishonors God. Number, dishonors God. Number two is when we have to trade our consciences or inheritance for it. And that was what Esau did at that time of weakness. Praise God. My birthright is more important than my hunger. My inheritance is more important than my hunger. And I want us to say to ourselves, I will not trade my inheritance in Christ. For what? For me, maybe dodo. <laughs> For what? And let that question be personal. Because you know at that point where it is that, you know, the devil keeps tripping you up. He keeps speaking to the weak spots. You know, maybe you grew up without a father. And so the attention and the, you know, the, 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 the attention of, of, of a man means much, much more to you than it should normally. And the devil knows. And he's baiting you. He's baiting you. 
he's baiting you. Praise God. Another big thought I had is when it destroys or defiles us, like a question I asked earlier, when does the satisfaction of a desire become sinful? And the third thought I had is when it defiles us. When it defiles us. Do you know what defiles your heart or life? What are the fruits of, of, of certain things that you do or do not do? This is a message that is very much personal to me than... I mean, it's a very, very personal message because it's one that causes us to sit back and think. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The one we wrestle with, the one we wrestle with is watching. He's looking for those times and for those points where it appears that we are vulnerable. And he wants to steal from us our inheritance. So every time you're moved to satisfy a desire that you think is legit. Ask yourself, is this defiling me? Is this defiling me? Is this taking something away from me? Praise God. Um, so then, how can we fight as we you know, come to an, as I bring this to a close, how do we fight? How do we fight? Number one is beware of your exposure during seasons of weariness. Beware of your exposure during seasons of weariness. Be conscious about the things that you know you are vulnerable to. Jesus was weary at that point. He was weary at that point. He was hungry. He had fasted for 40 days. He had fasted for 40 days. He was hungry and he was vulnerable. And at that time, he held on to the word of God. And like I said earlier, when it appears that you are vulnerable, go back to the word. When it appears that you're, you're, you're about to fall, go back to the word. I was watching um, Black Panther yesterday. And <laughs> forgive me, it's my second time. So, <laughs> you know, and I, uh, T'Challa, you know, at that, that point where he's been um, crowned as king and you have to be buried and you go see your dead father and all that. And so he, he, he's buried, and when he wakes up, you know, he's in the afterworld, and he sees his father, and he kneels down, and the father says, stand up, you are a king. And the moment he said that, I just felt I need to tell somebody this. Devil is, you know, knocking you down, and it's like you're on your feet. God says to tell you, stand up, you are a king. Stand up, you are a king. Stand up, you are a king. By the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, stand up. You are a king. Praise God. So how do we fight? Can we go to Ephesians? Can we go to Ephesians 6? If you would join me. Ephesians 6 from verse 10. Ephesians 6 from verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles and the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. 
And having done all to stand, stand. Stand, therefore, having guided your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having showed your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Praise God. Could we also read um, 1 Peter 5.8? 1 Peter 5.8. It says, be sober. It says, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he will devour. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he will devour. Now, Ephesians is such a beautiful book in Scripture. Um, Bible scholars say that it is one of Paul's best books. You know, I heard someone describe it as the cherry on top of a cake. Because it's, the efficient church was a church that was really vibrant for God. They were a church that was, um, they were full of the spirit of God, full of the life of God and all of that. And so when John, when Peter, sorry, when Paul starts to write to the, to the church in Ephesus, you know, he starts in chapter one with reminding them who they are in Christ. And he starts to pray for them that your understanding may be opened. That you may understand the breadth, the depth of God's love for you. He speaks all of that, reminding them about the love of God. Reminding them about the grace of God. Reminding them that they are warriors. Reminding them that God has given them all things that pertain to life and godliness. He speaks to who they are in Christ. And then he goes to Ephesians 6 and now begins to say, Finally, finally brethren. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And put on the whole armor of God. He begins to suggest that you can know all these things about who you are and what God has purchased for you. But there's an enemy that wants to take it from you. There's an enemy that wants you not to step up. There's an enemy that wants you not to experience who you truly are. That wants to bring you down with fear. Bring you down with, with, with temptations that, that you make you feel like you're not worthy of God's love. There is someone, there is an enemy. And so he says, how do you begin to deal and fight with this enemy? He says, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand. So when we talk about fighting temptations, this is not something we do in our strength. It's not, it's not a fight that is carnal. It's a fight that is what? Spiritual. And that's why it says put on armors that would actually work. When we go to the hospital and, and you tell the doctor I have a fever, he doesn't say, oh, okay, let's treat the fever. I mean, they do that. Okay, let's get the fever down and, and all of that. But as he's doing that, he's also looking for what? The root cause. And I feel that a number of us are going through circumstances and we're, we're saying, oh, okay, maybe it's just because uh, I didn't have this degree. I should have done this. We're looking for all the reasons on the surface. When we should be dealing with what? The root cause. And so you will go to the hospital and the doctors will begin to, okay, let's check your blood. Let's do this. Let's do that. Because fever could be just, I mean, it's just a symptom. It's just a symptom. And they want to know the root cause. Because when you deal with the root cause, you deal with the issue. Otherwise, the fever will come back. Praise God. And so, this is Paul saying in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. 
When we talk about fighting the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the only way we can do that is with warfare that actually can walk. With, with, with weapons that can actually work. And what, are the full, what is the full armor of God? First one is a helmet of salvation. We are saved. We are known by God. Remember that. When the devil wants to dangle that thing in front of you, remember whose child you are. I am saved. Jesus paid a price. A price that was extremely expensive. He gave his life. And I'm saved. And so put on that helmet of salvation. And he talks about your sword, which is the word of God, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Jesus was able to tell the devil, it is written, it is written. All these darts of turning bread, of turning stone into, into bread. No, 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 it is written. We need to give the word of God its pride of place in our hearts. It's, it, it's just the only way to live. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. The walk with God is it's beautiful, it's amazing, but it's also a battle. And so, after everything Paul had written to the church in Ephesus, you know God, may you know God, may you understand the depth and the breadth. He makes them understand there's somebody that wants to take it from you. You can know all of this and not come into the experience of it. So all you know is head knowledge. All you know is what they say in church, but your hands have not felt it. Your heart has not experienced it. And so it's just, you know, it's just what it is. Nothing that you can put your life for and die for because you haven't experienced it. And why? Because there is an enemy who wants to take that away from us. And God says, I've given you the battle. I've, the victory is yours. Be of good cheer. He says, in this world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. What? I have overcome. I have overcome. So you are already battling from the side of victory. You, you're walking from the side of victory. You're on the winning side. But God says, dress up like a soldier who is ready for battle. A soldier doesn't walk into the battleground, you know, with, uh, without armory, without, without proper dressing, maybe in jeans and, you know, the way the choir was like. They don't go to battle that way, you know. They go fully dressed up. Your breastplate to protect your heart. Breastplate of righteousness. Straight up what our mothers used to call holiness. That breastplate. Wear it. It will guard your heart. Take up your shield of faith. When the devil is telling you that this is, this is not going to happen, this is, not, this is not going to work, take up your shield of faith. Take it up. Understand that this is not just coincidental. You know, sometimes I think about David and how, you know, when the Bible talks, talks about they had gone to war and then here David was. He was sitting somewhere in his balcony. When he should have been fighting, he was what? Lazing about. Alas, the devil says, hmm, timing is right. Hmm. Okay, setup is right. Environment looks right. Let Sheba show up. And she shows up. <laughs> Praise God. And she shows up. And on the surface, we'll think, oh, that's coincidental. But that is an enemy that is strategic at work. How much more the children of God? I mean, we begin to understand the circumstances that arose and, and how sin, you know, the Bible says sin, desires first will give birth to what? Sin. And after sin, it becomes what? Death. And that's what the enemy wants, desires, that he would now incubate to sin. And from sin, what? Death. Somebody gave up his entire destiny because of porridge. Haba. <laughs> Praise God. 
But we can say this easily until you are in that kind of situation. It doesn't, it's not, it's not, it's not willpower. It's the strength of God. And so he says, put on the whole armor of God. Your feet ready to preach the gospel. Your belt of truth. Because you are a soldier in God's army. And you have an enemy who wants to take everything that he's given you. He knows his end is sure. He knows his end is, is one of, of doom. And he knows that everything he wants, God has given you through Christ. And his number one goal is to take that away from you and I. So as we speak to this theme of fighting temptations, it's not just because we want a theme, just because we want to fill up space. No. It's because we can hear all the good messages, sing all the songs and be excited step out where the battle truly is. It's not in church. I mean, I, I wish we can carry this atmosphere every day. You know, this kind of amazing praise and worship. We can just stay there and be in this atmosphere forever. No. 12 o'clock, the doors will be open. And we will step out. And then real life happens. What do you do when you get out there? Do you remember who you are and whose you are? I want somebody to know that the, that the sound of a king is in this room. There's a scene in Lion King where Simbird was a small boy. You know, a small cub, sorry. And the hyenas were there. And we go, <laughs> and we try to roar. And then <laughs> the hyenas will laugh at him. Like, hey, wait. Oh, we're talking about enemies. You, see? <laughs> you know, and they're like, this one, we can take him down easy. And after probably done that for two or three times, he tried to roar again, and then he heard, Hum! what happened? Mufasa showed up. I want somebody to know that your God is showing up for you. So we stand to our feet. Stand to your feet. Your God is showing up. If there's any message I want us to know, don't take things casually. If there's anything you take away from the few things I said this morning, don't take things casually. You have an enemy. Can somebody begin to pray? Because it says part of our weapons is to pray. Is to pray. It says, and take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. There is a part you have to play. The armor has been set. Your, your, your gear is ready. Put it on and then pray. The sound of a lion is in the room. The Bible describes the devil as like says like. The devil is like a roaring lion. He's like. But for our God, he says he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. We're speaking from a point of authority and of victory. We serve a God who has gone before us. Who has gone before us. He wore this earthly suit. Yet it was recorded that he was without sin. He wore this earthly suit and he marched through the fire. He died. He rose and he says, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
at the mention of my name, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that I am Lord. That is your father. So where it seems like you are a small simbird and you are roaring and the devil hyenas are laughing at you. Will you understand that there's a power of the king of kings behind your roar? And that when you speak, speak as one who is a king. Rise, you are a king. That's why your father is telling you, rise and fight. And fight. Enough of allowing the devil to, to run over us and, and take what belongs to us. And we steal our inheritance. And we're, we're, we're looking and we're taking it casually. Like, okay. And we're giving the reasons on the surface. When God is saying, I wish you would see the root cause and address this from the root. Address this from the roots. Address this from the root. Says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It may seem like that on the surface, but somebody needs to wear the eyes of the spirit and understand I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood. I'm wrestling against principalities and powers. And as a result, I will begin to take up armory that will work. I will begin to take up weapons that actually work. The sword of the spirit, the word of God. Give the word of God pride of place in your heart. It's the weapon of warfare. It is not just a book we read and you know the stories excite us and we smile. No, it's a sword, it's a sword, it's a sword, it's a sword, it's a sword. When Jesus was tired, when he couldn't go further, when he was hungry, the only thing that came to his mouth was it is written. All that Esau may have said it is written, but he didn't, and we see how he ended. But Jesus, Jesus picked up his sword at that point when he was tired, at that point when he appeared, he couldn't go on. At that point when he appeared, the devil had cut him in his vulnerable place in his vulnerable spot he picked up the sword of the spirit if that's all you need to know if that's all you can do when your emotions are overwhelming you remember what is written remember what is written what is written exceeds what is happening Father, we want to walk victorious. We want to walk as kings. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.